It's been a phenomenal week, <laughs> uh, but honestly, we've seen God do some incredible things, and uh, especially with the message I'm going to bring today, I've been wrestling a bit because we're going to be continuing our series on disciples on mission, and today I'm going to talk about power. So there you go. I'm really excited about this. I think God's up to something. I mean, do you know who you are and do you know what you've got? That's what we're talking about at the moment. That's what we're looking at in this series. To know what we carry and the resources that God has given us as disciples on mission. It's really important for us to know these things. Last time, I talked about authority. I talked about authority that comes from our position in Christ. And this time I want to talk about power. Because you see, it's possible to have authority without power. Did you know that? You can have a position of authority. You can have a, a position even in, 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 in the context of your job or something like that, but have no authority. Nobody will do what you say. Have you ever experienced that? That's difficult. <laughs> That's difficult to have a position of authority but no power. You can even have a position of authority because you've got all the knowledge, but there's no guarantee even of power there, even if you have knowledge. And so what we want is authority and power. Both are needed. Um, So I, I just want to show you a brief video by way of illustration of what it's like to have authority without power. And this is Alison illustrating her authority but actually very little power. Here we go. See you at the bottom. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dad. If only you were here and you could see this. Mum's walking a dog. And she just told Pepper off for about two minutes. We're not sitting down. <laughs> you want to watch my authority? Yeah. Dog. Pepper, <laughs> sit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good girl. Good girl. Good girl. Come on. It's a cat. You're not going that way, no. This way. Pepper, heel. Heel. <laughs> <laughs> so good I just had to show you that I had to make a talk to show you that video it's just such a good illustration of having authority I mean you are actually in charge of this dog but you've got no power at all because the dog's not going to do what they're told anyway authority without power we need both we need both we need to know our position in Christ but we also need to know power so have you got any power Are you aware of the power that you have? Because often we're not. And so when we looked last time, we looked at Matthew's version of the sending out of the disciples in chapter 10. And his focus was on authority. Well, most of his book is. It's on the authority of Jesus. It's on his kingship. But Luke, when he tells the same story in chapter 9, verse 1, says that Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, sent them out with authority and power. Both are needed. Jesus sent out his disciples with both, and we need to have both. We need to have an awareness of both authority and power. 
Now that word power, you probably know if you've uh, been around for any length of time that that's the word dynamite, the same word that we use for dynamite, dunamos. It means exploding power. (laughs) It means uh, the kind of power you can't miss because when dynamite goes off, you can't miss it. You know it's happened. You know that that power is happening now. It's imminent, it's present, it's tangible. That's the kind of power that Jesus is talking about. And now authority, as we were seeing last time, comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Being convinced about that theologically, biblically, experientially. We need to be convinced about our position in Christ. But power comes from the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at three things to help us understand how to operate in power. Number one, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend some time looking at that. Number two, we need to cultivate our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And number three, we need to learn how to generate power. Okay, we're going to focus mostly on number one, and two and three aren't going to be so long, so don't worry. I'm going to focus mostly on the first one. So you will need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Are you filled? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? When were you filled? Now, often when I ask people that, I say, when were you filled with the Holy Spirit? They'll talk about an event that occurred 20, 30 years ago, depending on your age. That's not what I'm talking about. When were you last filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I could tell you about five minutes ago, just before I stood up, I said, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I need your help right now. Five minutes ago, that's when I was last filled with the Holy Spirit. When were you last filled with the Holy Spirit? Why don't you just take a little drink now? Just take a little drink now. Just have a drink of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I receive you right now. Just take a drink of the Holy Spirit. Just get filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be in the habit of being filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to look first of all at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit the impact of that when it comes to power. And so we're going to look at Acts. We're going to look at Jesus' final command to his disciples before his ascension to heaven in Acts chapter 1. Lots of people think the last command of Jesus was the Great Commission, but it wasn't. The last command of Jesus was go and wait until you're filled with power. So let's just look at that, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke only about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my, that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, does this mean that at, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' final command to his disciples was to go and wait. He says, don't leave home without this. I love what Luke says in Luke chapter 24. He puts it like this. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Don't go out without your clothes on. When you get out in the morning, the first thing you do is you put your clothes on. If you went out without your clothes on, you'd be in trouble. Don't go out into, from the city. Don't leave your house. Don't leave where you are now unless you're clothed, clothed with power. We need to be reminded of this every day and every moment of every day. We need to be clothed with power. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Don't try and live the Christian life without it. We need this. Every believer needs this because this gift will give you power. The same power that lived in Jesus. The same power that raised him up from the dead. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was a permanent gift. So when Jesus sent out his disciples, as we were seeing last time, there was, there was a, tr- a, a authority for a specific purpose, for a specific mission. It was a temporary assignment. A temporary anointing. This was a permanent thing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be clothed with it. It's a a permanent dispensation of power to carry on the work that Jesus began. And also to do the greater things that Jesus said we would do. Whatever those could be. Greater things, he said. Because you see, it's all about power. It's all about power. Go and receive power. Have you got power? Have you got imminent power to live the Christian life? Have you got explosive power to overcome miraculous power, to heal the sick, to cast out demons? Or do you feel powerless? Powerless. Because often we do. Often we feel so powerless. I felt so powerless yesterday. In the face of what I saw. And yet I found a power to release somebody into the arms of Jesus. And to bring peace and to minister that even into that situation. I found a power there. Because power doesn't always feel like what you think it's going to feel like. I've got power because the Holy Spirit's in me. And because I don't feel powerful doesn't mean I haven't got power if the Holy Spirit's upon me. So Paul tells us on one occasion about the Holy Spirit teaching him about power. He says, did you know, Paul, he said, my power is made strong in your weakness. Leading Paul to conclude, so that must mean then that when I'm weak, I'm strong. But I don't feel very powerful. But when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because sometimes power doesn't look like or sound like what we think it might be. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. 
But do you know what? The really strange thing about that first demonstration of power, we're going to come on to Pentecost, but I just want to give you a preview. The first demonstration of power that the disciples experienced was a strange one. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They immediately spoke multiple languages. They spoke in tongues so that everybody around them from all over the world could understand what was being said to them in their own language. Isn't that amazing? Because Jesus had already said, all authority has now been given, go into all the world. He says, when the power comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the power that was being unlocked in that moment was a power for worldwide, multicultural evangelization. You will be my witnesses. But you say, I didn't expect it to be like that. Wouldn't it have been great if they all just fell down or and you just point your finger and something amazing happens? Those things do happen. But that demonstration of power, that imminence of God was they spoke languages that everybody understood. The power isn't always what you think it's going to be. Who would have expected that? You know, often the power... It comes in surges of love for people that you wouldn't naturally love. There's just an overwhelming power of love and compassion breaks out of your heart. You reach out and you touch somebody with that love. Or the power comes in acts of service inspired by compassion. Jesus, it says, looked on the crowds and he was moved with compassion and it caused him to act and power was released. And some of the most amazing miracles happened when Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. Power is released. Extraordinary forgiveness is another demonstration of power. We recently prayed with somebody who had had a a long-standing issue with her father for so many years and, and, and we led her through the steps of forgiveness and something broke, something released and tears and howling and, and deep pain and then a massive, a massive commitment to forgiveness and then a massive infilling of the spirit and healing. Have you ever seen somebody released from prison by their, they've been put there by an abuser but through forgiveness have power over the abuser, walk out of the prison and walk into freedom. That's power. Power unlocked by forgiveness. We need power. We need power for all things. Because you see, you cannot do this. You should not do this. We shouldn't leave home without it. We can't do what Jesus has called us to do if we haven't got power. Otherwise, what are we bringing people to? What are we bringing people to? What hope have we got if there's no power, if there's no life, if there's no energy, if there's no transformation? What is it about? You're just bringing people to some kind of dead religion with a a series of rules that none of us can follow. None of us can live up to them. So why give them to anybody else? If there's no power, if there's no imminence, if there's no presence, we need power. Do you have any power? Uh, The thing is, you see, we can get a bit squeamish about power here in the West. We're a bit funny about it. 
get a bit concerned about it. We don't really, not very good at releasing powerful people, are we? There's a, there's a stronghold there, you know, in our thinking. Keep people down a bit. Keep them in their place. But Jesus wants us to be powerful people and to change the world. So we're not going to do that without some power, are we? We're a bit squeamish of it. But you see, Jesus' promise of power wasn't a new idea. <laughs> it wasn't a new idea, partly because Jesus had already talked about it, he'd already modelled it, but it was also running through the whole Testament. So when Jesus said to his disciples, go and wait for power, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They'd have known the stories of the Old Testament. They'd have known what it would have meant for somebody to be imbued with power, to be clothed with power from God. So they would have had the example of Gideon, for example, the weakest man of the weakest clan, transformed by the power of God to a mighty man of valor who defeated the enemy. He was the weakest. He was the worst. You would not have picked him out. You know, if you were going for a football team and you were picking him out, you wouldn't have picked him out. He didn't have anything to offer. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him through the prophetic word of the angel, he became a mighty man, a mighty, powerful man of valor. David, all he did was play the harp and evil spirits left the king. All he did was play his harp. How about that? How about that when, when our musicians play? All they do is play and demons leave people. That's power being released. I'm just playing my guitar. I didn't even command anything. <laughs> there's David. So there's Samson. He slew a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, we, we don't do that kind of thing now. Uh, we have much more sophisticated weaponry. <laughs> Often what we see in the Old Testament physically is something that we can now take spiritually. When did we last slaw, slaw? Slay. <laughs> slay some situations with power? When did we last exercise power, spiritual authority, and see a community change, see a family change, because we prayed with power and taken authority? So there's Dave Sampson, there's, and then there's Moses. He, he communicated power. He laid hands on Joshua, and there was an impartation of power. So listen, the disciples knew what Jesus was talking about. When he said, you're going to have power, they got these examples. They understood that what it meant to have power was that ordinary people were transformed to do extraordinary things. Is that what you want? <laughs> to be an ordinary person? I want to be ordinary, okay? I'm happy with being ordinary, but I want to do extraordinary things because there's much more glory to God. When I'm just an ordinary me, they look at me and say, wow, he's just that kind of guy. You know, I had somebody at my workplace say, I never would have believed you were a Christian. I took that as a compliment. I didn't put them off. They saw my life. Extraordinary things through ordinary people. That's what it means to have power. The disciples expected that. That's what they expected. And of course, Jesus himself was empowered by the coming of the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't do anything himself. He, he didn't do anything until the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And if Jesus 
couldn't do anything, wouldn't do anything, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us? And then Luke described Jesus in Acts 10. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You know, I really don't believe, I don't believe that Jesus came all the way from heaven, suffered, died to rise again, to send the Holy Spirit for the sake of a powerless people, for a bedraggled, struggling church. I don't believe that. That's not what I see in the Bible. That's not what I see in Jesus. He came to give the Holy Spirit so that we would have power and that we would know the power of God, the imminence of his presence in all that we do. Which is why when the day of Pentecost finally came and the Holy Spirit was poured out, he came in power. Let's just read about that in Acts chapter 2. Are you getting excited yet? Feel free to stand up and shout and wave your hands if you want to. Acts chapter 2, just get a bit excited, that would be good. Just going to read verses 1 to 4. Because when the day of Pentecost finally came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance as he enabled them. All of them. I love this picture. I I love this picture so much. I read this passage over and over again. and I love it. You know, all these believers, all these believers all together in an upper room. All right? That's where we are right now. All together in one accord, in agreement, in agreement because we want God. (laughs) We want more from God, do we? All agreement in an upper room together. They're sitting there all together and suddenly there's a roaring wind. And the the heavens are, are ripped open and the Holy Spirit is poured out in fire and then it splits out over them. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues. All of them, all of them. They didn't have to explain, oh, some people don't, others do. None of that. All of them. Yeah? You need the gift of tongues. You really need the gift of tongues. Ask for it. If you haven't got it, just start to speak out in it. All of them filled with the Holy Spirit. I've had moments like this in my life where I've experienced that touch of God, where the fire of God has come. I've told some of you about this before, but it was so... Life-changing, so foundational to what I'm doing now. I want to share it with you again because I believe there's power in it. We, a bunch of us young people, all went on a, a conference, a bit like New Day, only much, much smaller. And uh, it was actually a very difficult meeting. Uh, there was a guy there called Norman Meaton. He's a missionary who travelled all around the world in India. He's quite a remarkable man. And he was trying to speak, and he was trying to speak to us about our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, actually. Our need to repent of our sin and to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was a really difficult meeting. There was resistance in the meeting. There was disruption. The kids weren't paying attention. Nothing like New Day. I mean, the kids there are amazing. And I remember this. I'll never forget. He just stood there and he waited. 
he waited. And I thought, what is he doing? And I thought, he's going to cry or something. He's just really upset. And I looked at him, and he just stood there and waited. I don't know how long he stood there, but it felt like a long, long time. And then suddenly, a thunderclap ran across the back of the hall, and the whole building shook. All the windows shook. And it's like the heavens were ripped open, and it started to rain very, very heavily. And it was one. It was a hut, so it was just really, really loud. And then, and then the rain was bad enough. Then it started to hail, and then lightning flashed. And then the thunderclap went shooting across the back of the hall again, and all the young people fell on the floor and came under the fear of God and the power of conviction, like I have never seen before or since. And people were just crying on the floor and repenting for their sin. The fear of God literally came on us. Do you know, so many, there's about 200 young people there that night and all of their lives were transformed. I know so many of them, even now, are serving God around the world in different places because of something that God did when he turned up in power. I believe that on that evening, what we encountered was the spirit of God and fire. I believe we experienced the manifestation of the power of God. John the Baptist said it. He says that there would be a time when Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. There was fire on that first day of Pentecost. There was fire, I believe, as we were there together in that room. And fire, you see, is the manifest presence of God in action. So when the fire of God, if you ever read about the fire of God, what are you going to look? Or when you experience the fire of God, you're going to look and say, well, what's just happened? Because it's the manifest power of God in action. Something's just happened. A life has been changed. A situation has been changed because the power of God has been manifest. And he's moving in action. The disciples' lives were completely changed By this encounter, they were fearful, they were locked up, they were in the upper room and they were afraid and shaking, completely transformed. A moment later, they were out on the streets, they were declaring, they were preaching, they were filled with the spirit and tongue, so much so that people thought they were just drunk. Drunk in the spirit. He says, we're not drunk, this is the Holy Spirit, that's what he does to us. Can I ask you, when was the last time you got drunk, so inebriated in the Holy Spirit that people thought you were drunk? So saturated with the Holy Spirit that people thought you were out of your mind? Have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit like that? Would you like to? So full of the Holy Spirit, you you can't contain him. You can't contain him. He breaks out of you. He affects your speech. I had it while I was trying to write this talk. Ruth came in. I said, she asked me a question. I went, oh, she said, it's one of those, is it? And then she gets it. Okay. While I was writing this, I believe that there are new encounters, fresh encounters in the Holy Spirit for many of us here today. It's not just one baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are multiple baptisms, for want of a better phrase. When did you last receive the Holy Spirit? Or have you got really dry and blocked up? We need the Holy Spirit, but we also need fire. Fire. 
I wonder what it was like. I wonder what that fire was like. Blazing, powerful, consuming. I wonder if it was even hot. When it came on them, did they feel heat? You know, I've often seen that when I pray for people. I say, I pray for the fire of God to come on them. And, and then you see them sweating profusely because they feel the fire of God. I've seen people shake and fall. I, I've seen people even fly across the room. I, I've seen people cry out in fear when God turns up. I've seen people cry. I've seen people laugh when God's power is manifested. <laughs> But one thing I have never seen is candles. I've never seen any candles. Do you know what I mean? I mean, have you seen some of the religious pictures of Pentecost? There you go. Candles. I've never seen that. What, what is it with the candles depicting the fire of God? It, it's this kind of flame that sits on the face and this warm glow all around them, or sometimes a kind of a halo, as you see here. That's how people envisage it, a kind of holy glow, a brightness. Occasionally I've seen a slightly bigger flame, but it seems that the flame is never larger than the general circumference of the disciple's head. Is that what it's like? Is that the kind of encounter they had, a kind of benevolent flicker? Well, my personal favourite is this one. <laughs> they look to me. Look at how they're dressed. I think that's Luke Skywalker in the middle. I, he's just got a different hairdo. That's all. But where in the Bible do we get the idea that the fire of God, the manifest activity of God in power, was anything like as containable as these things? Anything as disciplined, anything as ordered. I mean, is that the kind of fire that Elijah called down and destroyed the altar of God, licked up the ditch of water around it? Is that the kind of fire that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed the city? Is that the kind of fire that blazes in Jesus' eyes in the book of Revelation when John meets him and falls down as dead? Do you think Jesus' eyes look like a kind of benevolent flicker? Do you think you'd be comfortable looking into them? Do you know what I think? I think on the day of Pentecost, the fireball that was thrown out of heaven by the very breath of God, which then separated and covered them all, clothed them in blazing fire from head to toe and from the inside out as well. I think it's more like this. I think it's more like the man of fire, the stunt man, and you can barely put the fire out. I think they were clothed in fire from head to toe and from the inside out. And why do I say that? Mostly because of my own experience. I've, I've felt God touch me like that so that I have never been the same again since. A thousand volts, it feels like. I've never been the same since. Have you? Have you encountered the fire of God? You know, just that moment when you feel like I'm about to be utterly consumed. 
Or is this kind of God too much for you? <laughs> now, we like that nice peaceful feeling we get. We like the pictures of the waters and the waterfalls. But the fire of God, that's something else. That's a bit disturbing. But God wants us to be on fire. He wants us to be on fire. To be incandescent. To catch other people alight. (laughs) And to go into all the world with that power. I've got a lot of sympathy with General William Booth when he wrote that hymn. I bet you've been thinking of it already. O God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Your blood-bought gift today we claim. Send the fire today. Look down and see this waiting host and send the promised Holy Ghost. We need another Pentecost. Send the fire today. Send it. Send it today. Now, I don't think we need another Pentecost. That's already happened. But I understand what he's saying. I do think we need some of that fire, though. I think we need to be set on fire. I think the UK needs some of that fire. Because when the Spirit came upon the disciples, he came in fire and it involved the activity of God, a confrontation, a power encounter that changed those men forever. And we need this. And do you know what? There's some really good news I've got for you. We don't have to wait for it. We don't have to go and wait like Jesus said to his disciples. Because the Holy Spirit has already been poured out. And it's available to every believer. There's no need to wait because Jesus has already been glorified. So as Peter says on the day of Pentecost, he says, Jesus, having died and risen from the dead, is now exalted at the right hand of God, which was the only thing that prevented the Holy Spirit being poured out. He is now exalted. And that's where we are today. It's the time we live in. And all we have to do is ask for it. And the only qualification for asking for it is that we're thirsty and we want it, we desire it, we need it. Jesus stood up and he said, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink because the invitation is available to all. So have you been filled? Do you need to be refilled? Or perhaps you were filled long ago, but have you got the fire? Have you got the fire But I don't want to leave it there. I want to take you on to the point two and three. I want to come back and pray for us in a bit. But I just want to take you on to these two other points. I'm going to do them quite quickly. Because many of us have sat through meetings, have heard messages like this, have even experienced fillings of the Holy Spirit. And the question for many is not, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Maybe that is your question today. Maybe you haven't received But the question is more, where is the power? I've had this. I've had this experience. I've had hands laid on me. I've been to conferences. I've fallen down. I've done all these things. But where is the power? And I want to just talk about that. um, And explain that for you. So we need to be filled. Secondly, we need to cultivate our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, it's not enough just to receive the Holy Spirit, to get prayed for again and again. It's not enough to ask and keep on asking.
Because no, no amount of times of being filled will be enough for us if we don't then go on and develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's like for some of us that we've received the gift and even got all the gifts, but we've never really developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We know the gift, but not the giver. Is that possible? Can God really be that gracious that he give us gifts and use us and all that kind of thing, but we don't really know him? Yes, it is possible. See, the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of vague, mystical power. He's a person. And it takes time to get to know him, to, to call him your friend. Because he's the one that comes close. He's the one that comes alongside, but he needs to be invited into relationship. So talk to him. Get to know him. Spend time sitting with him. Enjoy him. And, and, and above all, learn to do what he says. He needs to come close. You know, we've been using that question in terms of discipleship. How has God been trying to get your attention this week? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's communicating with you. He's the one who's trying to get your attention. So that's the first thing. To start to experience the Holy Spirit with power is develop a relationship with him. Ask him questions. Learn to involve him in your day. Learn about him too. Read about him. Read about other people's experiences with him. Go to Bible school night this month because the whole of the, the evening is all about tracking the Holy Spirit throughout the whole Bible. Learn about him. Learn what he does. What is he like? Develop an intimate relationship. Make him the first person you greet when you wake in the morning, the last person you acknowledge as you go to sleep. I often just lie there and say, oh, Holy Spirit, what a good day. Thank you. There's a great book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. I really recommend that you read that book in terms of developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He talks about get in the shower, and as you're washing yourself down, say, oh, Holy Spirit, I need a bit of a scrub up. How about doing that for me right now? I'll wash the outside, you wash the inside. <laughs> Develop that kind of relationship with him. Be that close to him. What is he like? I'll tell you. What is he like as a person more than anything? He's love. That's what he's like. If you get to know the Holy Spirit, you find that he is liquid love. And that all he wants to do is love you a bit more. He's love. He's a spirit of love because God is love. You get to know the Holy Spirit, you spend time with him, he'll make you love him and love other people more. That's why we can be his witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the second thing. We need to get to know him because if you don't know him, you may have his gifts, even his presence with you and know his peace, but you won't discover his power working through you. Get to know him. Get to work with him. And then finally, we need to learn then how to generate power. And the two things are related. Get full of the Spirit, get to know him, and then we learn how to generate power. And I'm just going to give you five very quick ideas, and we're going to come back to it in coming weeks. Do you want these five, or are you at enough? All right, five things. Number one, how to generate power in the Holy Spirit. Number one, pray in the Spirit. 
pray in the spirit. This is pure power generation, learning how to pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues, do it by the clock, do it when you drive, do it when you're in the shower, but pray in the spirit wherever you go. And this is called in Jude, it says, building yourself up in the Holy Spirit. It can be done individually, it can be uh, done corporally. And in my experience, it's the quickest and most efficient way of getting filled with the Spirit and getting into the Spirit. So if you're feeling a bit carnal and fleshy today, pray in the Spirit. You know, it's quite often when we stop the worship, say, okay, stop, let's stop. Let's just get filled with the Spirit. Just pray in tongues, everyone. It's because people are in the flesh, they're not in the Spirit. It's the quickest way into the Spirit and to get filled with the Spirit. Number two, pray in the Spirit one. Number two, giving testimony. I don't understand why it's so hard to get people to give their testimonies. I don't understand it. It's so important that we tell the stories of our journeys with the Holy Spirit. It's so important that we give glory to him. Why? Because when we give glory to him, it unlocks power for others. It generates power in the church. There's a verse, isn't there, in... um, Uh, Revelation says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning that your testimony can become someone else's prophecy. I find that even talking about the Holy Spirit brings his presence. Talking about his power manifests that power that others can access to. We need to give testimony, even if it's only a 75% healing. So what? That's 75% better than you were when you came in this morning. Why have we got such a problem with this? I tell you, I could get really mad with some of you. Just come and tell the good news. People come to me like months later and say, oh, you know when you brought that word of knowledge six years ago? (laughs) At least in France, I was only there a year ago, and they were able to queue up and say, you remember when you did this, when you said that, when you did the other? This is what God did. Guys, we've got to get better at this. This is our power generator, telling the stories of God, talking about his presence, talking about what he's doing, giving testimony. Thirdly, impartation. That's because power rubs off on other people as we touch them. Did you know that? As we touch them, whoever they are, just be a very touchy-feely person. And power rubs off on them. As we touch them, especially when we pray for them and there's faith there, it draws on the gift. It draws the power. And often when I touch people, I can feel power running out of me, running through me. But it's also when we pray for one another, when we put lay hands on one another, we're giving away. We're giving away something of what we've got. Now, that's a spiritual principle because the Bible says give and it will be given to you. If you need more of the Holy Spirit, give it away and you get more. (laughs) If you need more love, give love. If you need more money, give money. If you need anything you need, give it away and it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You blocked up, give away and it comes pressed down, shaken together, running over. Give and it will be given to you. Impartation. This is good stuff, Rob. Number four... I'm learning to encourage myself in the Lord. Number four, power generation, overcoming in areas of sin. Overcoming in areas of sin. Now, I just want to say a little cautionary thing here, because power doesn't depend on our holiness, but our boldness. But keeping our flesh under control through things like fasting and overcoming temptation increases power generation. So there's a difficult balance there. 
to reconcile that I don't fully understand. But Luke 4.4 is where Jesus comes back from the temptations, having conquered and overcome every one of them. And it says that he returned from all his temptations in the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit, overcoming areas of sin. Finally, remembering how power was received. Now, that's an interesting one. When you had a power encounter, when you did receive an impartation, remember that moment. Go over it. Thank God for it. Restore it. When you had that prophetic word, go back to it. Stand on it. Paul encourages Timothy to do this. He says, as a way of stirring up or regenerating the gift that's in him. He says, remember how the spirit dwelt in your grandmother. (laughs) Remember then about your mum the example that she was to you. And now remember when I laid my hands on you. That's how you stir up the gift. There you go. Paul's giving you, this is how you stir up. This is how you generate the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps some of you need to do that. Now, you've been Christians for years now. And you say, well, I haven't had an encounter for ages. That's all right. Go back to the one you last had. Thank God for that and ask him for more. Stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. Amen. You don't need to be a conference hopper. (laughs) You can do it backwards as well as forwards. Remember what God did then. Thank him for that again and get the power out of it now. Look, if we're going to see the power of God in our lives, we need to be spirit-filled. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit all the time. We need to learn how to drink of his spirit. Have you been filled? And we need power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need some fire. And then we need to cultivate our relationship. Don't just receive this feeling and do nothing with it. Spend time with him. Cultivate that relationship. Especially if you get an impartation, it doesn't just do magic. Or so-and-so has laid their hands on me, so I'm going to be like them. No, there's a seed there that you can nurture and grow. There's potential there because of the prayers of the righteous. But you need to cultivate that relationship. And then we need to learn how to generate power. This comes out of relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to do that. You don't have to go to all these different people and ask. I mean, that's helpful. But the Holy Spirit will teach you how to do it for you. How do I generate power? How do I learn how to do that? How do I learn how to move in the Holy Spirit? It's about partnering with him.